Welcome to the Truth CSGO podcast, episode 89. Today we're talking Astralis. They sign a six-player. The Rio Major moves to November. Zeus leaves MIBR, and I diagnose exactly what MIBR need to do. And also flamingos. They can live to 70 years old. 70! Hey guys, this is Electro. Hey guys, I'm Guardian. This is Daps. This is Nico. This is Nifty. This is Chris J. This is Ferry. Code Zero. Flusher. Oh, this is Kerrigan. Are you listening to the truth? The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth. CSGO podcast. Are we rushing in or are we going sneaky beaky like? Welcome to the end of the world part one. I hope you're comfortable. I certainly am. I'm sipping on a Malibu pineapple, like a true child of the 90s. For times like these, there's nothing better than Caribbean white rum infused with coconut flavor. That's not coconut juice or extract. It's coconut flavor, seasoned with the cool, sweet taste of pineapple juice. Coming to you from my family's boat shed, on the rocky shores of Sydney's North Shore, where I languish in quarantine, my limbs atrophying, my mind slowly turning back to its natural cabbage-like state, bereft of the vitalizing power of agency, the triangulation of human contact, and the sublime cooperation between motor and neuron that we commonly call going for a walk, that provides such sweet spiritual stimulation and which I am so keenly missing. We're going to talk about... The most important thing right now, Minecraft. I'm just kidding. We're going to talk about COVID-19 and what's going on. But before that, I reckon we should just get on with this Counter-Strike news because there's a lot and it's juicy. And if you want to deal with uh, some of my probably fairly shallow musings on what's going on in the state of the world, stay tuned for what's happening afterwards because first up, let's chat Astralis. You've probably all heard the news by now, but Astralis have signed Esatag. Esatag, the player from Heroic. This is the most convoluted fucky story of this podcast. Heroic were an ESL Pro League, right? They had to bow out of that because they couldn't fill the roster. And that's because Fun Plus Phoenix, a Chinese organization, supposedly signed the whole team and then enrolled them in Flashpoint, which I guess was... Well, they saw it as a way to make a little bit of money, a bit more money than uh, EPL. For some reason, I want to keep calling Fun Plus Phoenix Fun Punch Felix. I don't know why. Uh, but anyway, you did. You might recall in the last episode, we said that Heroic dropped out of EPL and Big took their place. Well, then Fun Punch Felix played one match in Flashpoint against Cloud9, which they lost 1-2. to two. But were then forced to forfeit the next when it emerged that Esatag was going to Astralis at the conclusion of his contract, which apparently is July 1st or June 1st, June or July. They're the same month, really. They should just be the same month. Just one giant double month. Fun Punch then said, hell with this. They pulled out entirely of Counter-Strike in what now appears to have been a negotiation that was not yet finalized with either Heroic or the players themselves. Excuse me while I take a sip of my Malibu pineapple in a continuation of my shock at this news. <clears throat> I 
Cadian uh, of Heroic slash Fun Punch Felix then had a meltdown. He took to um, Twitter talking about how badly he'd been treated, and fair enough. It seems likely the players weren't across everything that was happening, and it looks like they'd left the EU to be in LA for Flashpoint, which, considering the current uh, state of events, is a bit of a shame for them. Um, The Fun Punch dude came out and said Australis had acted in bad faith and was going to take them to court. And the Australis owners replied that nothing went on uh, that was dodgy and they were simply buying a player out of his contract. So now the heroic roster isn't competing in either Flashpoint or EPL and Swole Patrol have taken their place in Flashpoint, which makes Swole Patrol the second team to be competing in both leagues, which is quite a coup for an unsigned roster. The first team is, of course, MIBR, who announced that they were going to be playing for EPL as well as Flashpoint earlier this week. And it seems they went there because of the way um, everything had to basically go online. EPL now being played online, Flashpoint being played online due to the virus. I guess the amount of teams in the North American division was lacking because the groups as they were seeded in EPL previously have now been redrawn amongst geographic lines. Although I am willing to bet the EPL organizers realized that without the Brazilian fans tuning in, they'd be lacking in some of their viewership, and that's probably something they'd reached out to MIBR about before. But Flashpoint hasn't seen great viewership, and with their inability to sign other top teams, it would have been disappointing for a team of MIBR's caliber and fandom MIBR in their statement explained it was because, it was because without competing in EPL they probably wouldn't have had the points to get to big tournaments like Cologne, whose invites rely on ESL's ranking system, which is surely something they would have known earlier. So that's got to only be one part of the equation. Let's um, talk more on MIBR. They've just seen the loss of their coach Zeus. Old mate took them to two major victories as Luminosity. Uh, he had a stint with Liquid and then returned to the team at the end of 2018. He, he intimated in his leaving statement that he took responsibility for some of the piss-poor results over the past year, but that the problems in the team were deeper and were more of a lineup or culture issue, which is similar to the comments Yanko gave when he left them prior to Zeus. And it seems there is only so much a coach can do with this lineup. Pardon me. Dead is now their coach. He's been their manager for a long time since 2015, so it's probably a temporary thing. Now, it's been a massive amount of theorizing that the community has done over the last couple of years about what should be done about MIBR. Really, so much of their success grew out of what Fallen built with Luminosity that their failure now, unfortunately, must fall somewhat at his feet. And it's a shame that he's so impenetrable in his public persona, so smooth in his professionalism, because it means that whatever problems he's having are occurring behind behind a very opaque mask. So the only thing to do is speculate, which is my stock in trade, and I thought we should have a little think about it. Fawn's 28. He's been playing since 2005 at least. He's won two majors. He's won multiple large tournaments. His gamers clubs in Brazil have apparently been instrumental in fostering talent and culture of Counter-Strike in Brazil. The dude's involved in multiple business ventures, it would seem. He's, he's doing charity work. He's the face of Brazilian CS now that Cold Zero's jumped ship. He's fielding calls with the president of Brazil. He's been married for some time. He's already achieved an insane amount professionally, and he's going on cruise ships with his in-laws. This is things you can learn from his Instagram. So let's look at this realistically. He's in a team whose results are nowhere near where they used to be, but he doesn't have the energy or time to fully reinvent the way he looks at the game. 
And to get someone else in to do that would either mean ceding control to a coach or another IGL. And once someone else is in either of those positions, they are also in a position to potentially change the way the team interfaces with the world. But this is a team that Fallen has built, so why would he give up that control? It's everything he's worked towards. To get rid of Taco or Fur probably means losing what he enjoys most out of the game at this point, playing with friends. For those young people who don't understand that, it's kind of what happens when you get older. And you can see evidence of this with the Dignitas guys. They would rather play with friends than risk it all for a chance at winning more championships. They have a good, uh, a good income. They have a stable source of uh, professional work. All that's missing is playing with your friends. They've already won basically everything there is to win. And so Fulman is stuck. He's not going to have the time or energy to totally reinvigorate his game unless he has a long break away from CS. And it's not clear whether it's hard to get back your aim and game sense after a long break, especially at his age. And so it probably seems like far too risky a proposition. And once again, he's got the issue of possibly losing control of the team if he takes a break. So someone else then needs to captain the team while he's away, which raises a whole other host of issues. So in actual fact, no one else in Counter-Strike is under as much pressure as this guy would be under right now. I'm talking about no other players. Because what the hell is he supposed to do? I would say the only thing for him to do is to block out a chunk of time, perhaps as great as a month, in between tournaments, with the major no longer happening, and we'll get to that, there's a good opportunity to do this. Basically, him and all the teammates have to explain to all the wives and girlfriends and family that they're going off the grid and undergo a transformation, redefine their practice and their schedules. And this is perhaps not someone in the CSGO world who helps them do do this. It's probably another sports coach or a performance coach or some sort of mental coach. It's someone who's able to take them through an emotional transition into another stage. Young men are often driven by pure hunger and innate motivation until their late 20s. And at that point, being a professional changes in definition. It's not just something fueled by raw desire, but by smart, dedicated, informed practice. It's the kind of paradigm shift that people like Tony Robbins have based their careers on. It involves NLP, hypnosis, journaling, reflection, an enunciation of goals, reprioritizing, and often ritual. And I mean, I wasn't really being facetious uh, last step when I said that Ents needed to go up a mountain because it appears that they identified some similar experience was necessary as well. They all shaved their heads. I don't know if you guys saw that, but the team shaved their heads and I, I haven't actually looked into it. I'm not sure what the cause of it was, but lo and behold, they actually won a game. They beat Ninjas in Pajamas, I think 2-1. And Ninjas in Pajamas were looking hot. So ritual is important, and marking ourselves in some way as having undergone an experience was a way that we traditionally used to do it. When I see all these young people get tattoos or the CSGO pros get sleeves, there's a ghost desire in there, a desire to be part of a tribe or to display evidence of having passed through some sort of transition. For some cultures, it's been circumcision. For some, it's just cutting your body and then worrying the wounds so it scars, the scars are as visible as possible. And tattooing is, of course, a massively prevalent way to do it as well when crims gets the king of kings tattooed across his neck that's a visible spasm across generations it's an impulse to parade his maturity to the others in his tribe it's an ancestral muscle memory to belong now if fallen's willing he needs to lead mibr into the belly of the beast and emerge with tattoos you know metaphorically speaking 
or this team isn't going to grow up. That took us a long way off the topic, which began with Astralis getting Esetag. Uh, now, Zonic and Device have since explained that this is motivated by similar reasons that apparently caused Alex to leave Vitality and become a professional Twitter account. Uh, the reason really is that the burnout can be so severe for these players that they want to make allowances for it by having another player up their sleeves to sub in if needed. I think the origin of this was when Device had, I think it was uh, irritable bowel syndrome or something or other a couple of years ago. And if you recall, they had to get in the pistol guard, Dennis, for a few tournaments. So this has been done before, actually. There's, it's not a completely new territory to have a six-player team. Um, the most bizarre example of this currently is, of course, a go, who for some absolutely mad reason have, I think it's eight players on their roster right now. Like, this is a tier three team. I don't even know the last game they played, and they've got eight players on the roster. So the stated aim apparently for Astralis is that they can field different players for different maps as well, should they want to. Uh, ESL and Blast apparently have it in their rules to allow possible changes of players between maps, which is kind of amazing. If uh, Esetag was subbing out for someone, let's say Zipniks for their overpass matches, I feel like it's a very interesting change in the way we look at Counter-Strike. Um, and it would place a lot of pressure on those players who are subbing in for particular maps. And as Device said himself, one of the good things about this is that it places a huge amount of pressure on that current five-man roster. Because if they're going to be in danger of being subbed out for another player, they're going to have to pull up their socks. We've seen this before in this core when Dupree was going to get cut. Maybe 2016 it was, and pulled his socks up and became a top 20 player uh, in the matter of months. So this is kind of fascinating. In some ways, the old dog in me got a little bit dismayed by this news. Um, there's something slightly corrupting uh, about another player coming into what is the most incredible lineup we've ever seen in Counter-Strike. Uh, but it's probably just the part of me that despises change in any form. I don't know what uh, order this news is in this week. It's weird. But um, Source 2 is apparently coming out. Probably because we have 1 million peak players on Counter-Strike. <clears throat> Source is, of course, the engine that Counter-Strike is built on. And I think it's about 18 years old now or something ridiculous. This is really not going to change the underlying appearance or function of CSGO, apparently. Although I think it's going to mean things like frames per second can be sort of unlimited now. The major change it's going to uh, have is that it's going to make content creation and modding a lot easier, apparently. I know nothing about Source. Nothing. Um, if people are going to be creating more modes and content for Counter-Strike, this is what I'd like to see. I'd like to see multi-map Counter-Strike Global Offensive. Someone needs to stitch several maps together so that you play a round in Mirage, then the timer starts counting for the next round and you have to leg it through the doors over to Dust 2 to set up for your defense. And then the moment that round's done, you have to leg it over to Overpass. And you could play the whole map pool in a marathon or just have two maps sandwiched together. And if you had two maps sandwiched together, you could potentially have four teams playing at the same time. So let's say you're on T side on Dust 2 and Mirage is connected through the B tunnels side and you have a mate who's playing on the CT side on Mirage. You could pop in there in the middle of your game and help him out and jump back to stop the retake in Dust 2. 
I feel like there's something really interesting about that. I haven't seen it. If it has been done, <laughs> let me know. Now, when I say Source 2 apparently is coming out, I don't know when that's supposed to be. Valve said a matter of months, but it's been 18 years, so I'm not holding my breath. It has been reported by DK over a double tap that Yampi is suing Valve. Yampi is an 18-year-old Finnish author who you might recall was going to sign with OG and instead ended up being brushed aside for Mantu when it came out that he had a VAC ban on his account, which meant he wouldn't be able to play Mages. So he's suing Valve for damages <coughs> um, and says that he sold an account to a friend when he was 14 which was later VAC banned. Unfortunately for him, selling an account to someone is against the Valve Terms of Service, as I think is even playing Counter-Strike if you're not over 18. So it appears he doesn't have a leg to stand on unless, as a minor, he can be exempted from the ability to make decisions from himself, make decisions for himself uh, under Finnish law. Now, even then, unless Valve was directly involved in the negotiations between him and the OG, I can't imagine how they'd be liable for any damages. After all, their VAC ban and rule about VAC ban players was in place long before he negotiated with OG. So what can Yumpy do at this stage? Uh, if he still wants a career in CSGO, I don't think suing is probably the best way to do it. But it's possible he could put together a website that had a sober adult explanation of what happened with some evidence of how much the game means to him, some well-thought-out materials, and a well-reasoned argument perhaps for why a lifetime ban may not make sense in this case even for the community at large. And there's a case to be made for that as well. In other words, what the lawyers might be doing, he could actually do for the public. And he could put a petition on the website. And if he got enough signatures, perhaps it might actually cause Valve to take notice. In the meantime, I think he could also do what Steele has done, which has carved himself out a very respectable career and continue to make a good name for himself. I think um, Steele's team just topped their group in Flashpoint. Oh, no, they got beaten by... um, MRVR at the last moment. Anyway, they've been doing all right. But in a crazy world, let's think, let's just imagine that um, Yumpy does manage to get some money from Valve through damages or a settlement. But then what? It's kind of highly unlikely they would reverse their band. And who's going to want to sign a litigious player to their roster? It could be that he's just trying to get himself a little cash so that he can buy a good monitor to stream Valorant. Let's talk the leagues. Now, as I mentioned before, EPL split, split regionally so people wouldn't have to travel, <clears throat> which meant the groups are no longer seated very well, but it also meant Renegades and Sharks had to drop out because they didn't want to hang around in Europe and be serenaded on balconies by listless Italians. Uh, so MIBR and Swap Patrol have taken their place. Or uh, And, yeah, that's it, I think. Yeah. Anyway, the biggest storyline for the first week was that basically almost every game was an upset and this has been put down to the benefits of playing online because apparently players play better when they're in their jammies and don't have to wear their sweaty polyester team jerseys or coif their hair for stream. That appears not to be the enduring case as the second week saw the expected teams take the dubs. Let's start with Flashpoint though. We had three groups A, B and C which have been named by the Flashpoint um, talent, the in-game feeders, the Snakes and Ratters and Assisted Living. The in-game feeders was actually won by Mad Lions in a showdown with Havu. So Mad Lions have done remarkably well, Sans Hunden, putting paid to all those snarly-mouthed human sriracha bottles who were crapping on them for uh, kicking an IGL. 
Now, their replacement was Asilian. He seemed to do all right. And these guys had the easiest group, I have to say. Contact were probably the faves here. But Contact were beaten by Mad Lions 2-0 in the stages. So, pretty good. Pretty good effort by Mad Lions. <laughs> um, Copenhagen Flames came dead last. Now, Group B, Snakes and Ratters. These guys were named after Nifty and Smilia. This was won by MIBR, which was pretty surprising considering they took down Gen.G and then Chaos, who weren't playing with Smulia for visa issues, but were still looking pretty hot to trot. Now, Gen.G just were not looking at all as cohesive as they did at Anaheim, which is another infuriating Daps effect. It's uh, amazing how much praise we can lavish on him when things go well, but uh, this flat performance did remind me of some of the times NRG just did not seem to have the enthusiasm to perform. Sometimes it feels like Daps takes his foot off the gas a bit. Now, Envy came last in this group. They did have to play with Legear because Moose was stuck in Canada, so that's unfortunate for them. He's going to rejoin them online. Moose is, that is. Uh, Envy's worries and woes compound, unfortunately. Now, Group C, Assisted Living, which is really named after um, Dignitas. This was the group I watched the most games of because Guardian was playing for Dignitas. And at this point, I think my entire reason for watching CSGO seems to revolve around the fortunes of everyone in the 2017 phase lineup. Or probably more accurately, anyone who's close to my age who's still playing. Uh, Dignitas did take down Orglis, but then went down to Cloud9, and a rematch of Orglis uh, really showed these guys up for being far less uh, together than the other teams with their full lineup. This whole group was won by Cloud9, who beat Orglis in the final, which was not that surprising, really. Uh, Cloud9 have definitely been around the longest and had the longest to prepare, and uh, yeah, they're, they're just the more together roster at this point um weird to say that when dignitas were in the groups but that's definitely how it feels now poor old ladislav fucking kovac did his best but apparently the dig boys were talking in swedish um i love how i'm just talking about dignitas in this whole group they didn't look too bad at times but their ct ct sides really got consistently torn apart by what seems like a complete disconnect in the places that guardian was used to having watched for him and the team were used to watching so that's a shame. Anyway, everyone in these groups are all going to get the chance to play each other again as the groups mix up in the next stage. Now, overall, the question should be asked whether Flashpoint delivered something different enough content-wise for me to watch because I did say... Pardon me. I'm just getting comfortable. I did say if Flashpoint delivered on their promise of a an entire new way of presenting content, I would be tuning in. Um... The answer is really no. It's possible that they were going to. They did get off to a very good start with the live team vetoes, and there's been some funny videos coming out. I do like the sets they've built, especially the the bar they'll hang out in afterwards. Um, But unfortunately, I think with everything being online, all they can really deliver at this point is an analyst couch and some matches with some interviews afterwards. So that's very unfortunate for them. And considering they've really only got one team that I'm really excited about watching... These guys have often been losing the viewing war for me. And you'd think as well that I'd watch more CS being quarantined, but I'm watching less, I guess, because I'm, yeah, just not feeling as... Well, maybe it's something to do with having more time on your hands. I'm not sure. Anyway, this sucks for them. 
And everyone who's shitting on Thorin is completely missing the point. This league is this league not being a good competitor for EPL is bad for the scene. It's bad for the scene. If they'd just had a few more top tier teams, uh, it would have been much, 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 much better for the scene. So stop being a numbnut. And even if you don't feel like watching it, don't shit on it. Now EPL has also had their first few stages season 11 it is it's in three groups and although there were a ton of upsets in the groups the final standing uh, standings are not really that surprising either as i mentioned before now group a saw in this order australis vitality nip godsense spirit and ents in terms of the pole positions pole positions it's pole position is only first right in terms of the uh seedings after all these matches now the biggest story here was nip two kneeling australis on day one uh Nip then had the relative layups of Spirit and God sent and went down to the then shaven-headed Ents in their final match. Vitality, now with Mizitar and Apex at the helm. Uh, and apparently Apex is now concentrated on the team structure as opposed to anti-stratting, um, according to Shocks. These guys were beaten by Spirit, but also had victories over Nip, God sent, and Ents. Astralis, as I mentioned, did come out on top in the very end of it but were definitely not looking like they had maintained the sense of innovation that really swirled around them when they were at their peak. They are now second in the rankings, I think, behind Navi. I think it's Navi, Astralis, Mouse, uh, Navi, Astralis G2, Mouseports. Um, whether or not uh, this is part of why they're getting an ESSA tag remains to be seen. Now, the B group saw Navi, Fnatic, Forts, Complexity, North, and Big. That was the final rankings after all the matches too. Forts were fun to watch. They took out complexity on their first day and then North on the second. They only then narrowly lost to Na'Vi and Fnatic. Perhaps these guys are still stuck in a tier two mindset because they have all the talent to um, bust their way out. Now, Big started off very well. Sursen and Keto looked like the killer pickups I talked about a few eps ago. They beat Fnatic and then Na'Vi, but unfortunately they couldn't keep it up and lost to complexity and North and then Forza. So they beat the big dogs, but uh, faltered when it came to the lessers. This is a little sign of how jumbled the results were, uh, the way these matches worked. Probably the biggest disappointment for me in this group was big, but they're definitely looking more promising than they have for a long time. The next group stage has begun with FaZe, G2, Mouse, OG, VP, and Tai Lu. First day's seen FaZe absolutely run completely over Tyloo, who apparently been boot camping in Poland for a while, and I guess they're going to be stuck there, which hopefully will be the level up these guys have needed for some time, especially post uh, losing Bentet. We also saw, uh, who else did we see? Oh yeah, in the North American side, we saw 100 Thieves have a 2-1 victory over, um, who is it? Swole Patrol, which is to be expected and hoped. And we also saw Liquid absolutely crap all over MIBR. And MIBR have... Oh, now, you know what? I'm not going to talk about them anymore. There were so many rounds that were gobsmackingly bad. So let's not talk about that. Otherwise, I get depressed. Let's talk about the Major. So the ESL Rio Major that was happening in May has now been pushed to November. It's going to be the only Major in the year. And all the prize money of both of the majors is going to be consolidated for a total of $2 million. If Australis win this major with Esetag standing in for device, well, there'll be a certain poetry to that, won't there? Now, what's weird, or I guess interesting, and is going to require a lot of uh, 
jostling and to and froing and probably heartbreak is all the minors and how they're going to possibly be worked out because we've had a lot of competition already. Rosters are certainly going to change before November. Uh, team fortunes are certainly going to change. People are going to rise and fall in the rankings. And so it remains to be seen yet whether or not these minors will remain exactly what happens. Uh, well, the teams that are in the minors now are going to be the teams that uh, stay in contention come November. This is a sign, I think, that I need to go to Rio finally. Uh, so if I have my November free, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to see a bit of South America into the bargain. Now let's get on to, I reckon, just some talk about the virus and what's going on before I uh, cark it. So the last episode I recorded in Atlanta, I'd just flown to Atlanta and I was there for only about six days before I had to fly back to Sydney. Um, So I wouldn't get stuck in a city where everyone carries guns. And my country had enforced a two-week quarantine for travelers at that point. So I'm on day seven of solitude and I'm pretty sure everyone is in that state now I'm pretty sure the quarantine I'm in now applies to everyone although I'm not supposed to go out at all Um, now there's been so much to think about during this time I haven't nearly been as productive as I was hoping and I feel like once you've processed whatever news you've been able to access the state of the world really presents an embarrassment of riches for armchair sociologists like myself And nowhere is the vein greater than in the response of different cultures to the virus. Comparing, for instance, the way Japan has reacted to the way Australia has or the way Italy has to the way the US is, is one of the most interesting things going on right now. There was an old experiment we did in first year high school science. It was called transpiration demonstration. Um, Transpiration is basically when plants suck up water from the ground. And, And in this experiment, you stuck a piece of celery in a jar of dye and you know overnight the celery would start to turn red if the dye was red so basically you would see all the fibers and the cell structure i probably can't say cell structure but the structure anyway of the celery and i feel like the coronavirus is a bit like that dye for society it's revealed some of the lines between generations between those who are plugged into their phones and the news cycles and those who are not between those who were sheltered or have previously been sheltered from the ugliness of human nature and those who are under no illusions. So let's talk a bit about this because I'm trying to work it all out. There's so much going on. It's very confusing and I can't really enjoy Counter-Strike much until I get it out of my head. So I'm putting it in yours. Now, firstly, the generations. There's been common complaints from people in their 30s that they can't convince their parents to take the virus seriously. And I thought one of the best tweets... Uh, to demonstrate this was from a young woman called Bridget Delaney who said in an unsettling reversal of my teenage years I am now yelling at my parents for going out now there seems to be several reasons for this a people's parents are not consuming news in the same way as they are case in point I was delivered photos from Italian hospitals on my phone fully a week before my father saw it on the free-to-air news channels b our parents generations have less to live for because their future now exists in the past unlike my generation who is still heavily invested in creating a better world for our children but there's also the complaints that young people aren't taking it seriously either 
And I'm talking about people 30 and below. And there's complaints that it's the young people who are still gathering. I was even tasked to write a PSA for UNICEF about this very problem. A PSA is a public service announcement. It was This took the form, in this case, of a 30-second uh, TV ad. And their data was showing that the young people were feeling invincible, uh, but were also not considering others, which are actually very different uh, reasons. One of the common memes that was being spread around about this from Piers Morgan to my smug millionaire uncle who shared it on the family WhatsApp was that the older generation had to go out to war and all the younger generation is being asked to do for their country is to stay at home and watch the TV. Which, as it turns out, is a lot harder than it is assumed to be. And not because you can really compare the two, but because it's worth mentioning, at least when our grandparents went to war, they had each other. They did it in groups. They were able to socialize. I'm reading my uh, grandfather's war diaries right now. And he was in a troop of 30 men. And they became brothers within the first week. You know, we've just got our frustratingly one-way content machines, our little echo chamber containers, our soporific, monopoly-controlled, streamlined internet that still, despite mostly existing of a few giant churning corporate gears, wears the clothes of the incredible promise of individual expression it burst forth with in the late 90s and is all the more depressing for it. I just want to reiterate, I am not comparing staying at home, being on the internet, to going to war. Um, just pointing out there's differences, there's nuances, and they exist. Anyway, we'll get on to the quarantine idea in a moment a little more. But the second major idea that uh, this has had me mulling over are the differences in our ideas of human nature. And I think this is the most complex uh, and overwhelming idea that all this data, and I guess data is my only way of saying the news uh, and social media and everything that's happening, this is the most complex and overwhelming idea that this is all throwing up. So I'm currently seconded in a very wealthy area of Sydney with a lot of old people. My father's father was a fairly well-off architect and he bought some waterfront property uh, many, 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 many years ago. And this is kind of why my family still has access to a boat shed. And my father is living in a little apartment above the boat shed. So he reported that even up until last week, the supermarkets were full of bewildered old people who were stunned and indignant at the greed of panicking, selfish stockpilers who'd taken all the toilet paper from the shelf. You might recall I was making a joke of it last week. It wasn't a joke for these people because it was as if they still expected there to be some of the social cohesion remaining from when their peers banded together and sailed over to Damascus and dug trenches to ward off the Vichy French. I mean, they've been hiding under a very large, comfortable rock known as the longest uninterrupted um, economic growth, I think, in recorded history that Australia has had for, what, 26 years? While, um, you know, the country carefully had its thin layer of identity peeled back like the skin of a mango so that individuals could feast on the flesh within. This country and I'm talking about Australia here in case you have not picked up on the accent, and the people in this country, like so much of the West, have nothing in common really apart from the dollar. And this is not a knock against immigration or multiculturalism in any way. This is the natural plateau reached by capitalism. This is the bank we wash up on when the markets dictate the movements of energy. 
British colonized Australia is one of the most shallow cultures in the world. We have 230 years of history of trying to survive um, and maintain some sense of British decorum whilst greedily taking our cues from the US, the second most shallow culture in the world. Anyway, I'm actually really veering on subjects I'm not uh, educated about enough. But the derision that some of my peer group threw up for the Italians who were still gathering in parks a month ago, or the French who were still in restaurants, it looks pretty naive when 20,000 people gathered on Bondi Beach despite the Prime Minister asking everyone to stay at home. Because each time it happens, someone made the mistake of saying, well, it's just the Italians, they're too social, it's in their culture. Or, like the French journalist Nell on his Twitter, it's just the French, they're idiots. The French are idiots. Or the Brits saying the Brits can't survive without their pubs. Newsflash, we're all the fucking same. And being social is a survival mechanism that, similar to eating until we're satisfied, we're all going to do on a basis daily until someone threatens us with force until we don't. I'm recording this on the 26th of March, and despite it becoming a law in Sydney, Manly Beach was still packed today. A law in Sydney that you cannot go on the beach. So, I guess... There's a line here, and this is where it comes back to the transpiration between the cultures and the generations, and also the expectations of how people are going to act, because anyone who's surprised about this is just nuts. Now, the countries with less of an emphasis on the individual are, of course, the countries that are dealing the best with the crisis, and so we're seeing the difference between the countries as well. China, putting its citizens under lockdown, is all in a day's work for a communist party, and the U.S., By contrast, putting its citizens under lockdown is a very, very different thing with different implications, as it is in Australia. Now, I have to admit uh, that yesterday I went a bit crazy. Yesterday was my sixth day of isolation, even though it really feels like several weeks. And I was using a WhatsApp group for my main social outlet. But when I didn't get some feedback quick enough on something I'd posted in the group, I had a little meltdown. Which makes me wonder whether if we all go into the sort of isolation that I've been in for seven days, and I mean, I haven't even gone out for a walk, how is the way we talk to each other on the internet going to change? And long listeners of this podcast will know I'm obsessed with this topic a bit, but I think it's worth mentioning because we can afford to shit on strangers, be flippant as you like on Twitter, post things on Instagram for the most shallow of self-validation reasons, be outraged at the drop of a hat and accuse individuals and companies of the most horrific crimes against humanity based on a feeling. And these exchanges currently, or at least prior to COVID, bear very, very little consequence. But when the internet becomes our only way to actually keep connected, our exchanges are going to matter a whole lot more. So if COVID brings us anything positive, and there appears to be quite a few positive things coming out of this, in a um, macabre twist of fate, perhaps one of them will be a redefinition of some of the dysfunction of modern communication. And that's the end of my rant. I hope you all enjoy the rest of Counter-Strike that we have coming up for us over the next uh, month or so. EPL continues, Flashpoint continues. I hope you're all staying safe. And uh, enjoying your isolation. I think it's probably time I maybe got another PC and reinstalled Counter-Strike because I'm going to need something to do. 
If you enjoyed the podcast, you can support us on Patreon, Patreon slash patreon.com slash the truth CSGO. You can get in touch on Twitter at the truth CSGO or through the website, the truth at the truth CSGO.com, or that's the email. The website is the truth CSGO.com. Thank you to all the patrons. These guys are paying for the server and making it possible for you to listen to the podcast. So until next time, enjoy the game. Thank you.